And our scripture reading this morning is short and sweet from Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to New City. My name is Damien. I'm the senior pastor. I want to welcome you all, especially want to welcome you guests and visitors. I'm glad you're with us this morning. And as Ben mentioned, we are actually concluding a sermon series that we've been plotting through in the months, mainly July and now into August, about what is our mission and how are we going to accomplish that. So I've tried to consider the fact that Even those of you who are members of New City, you've been in and out over the last few weeks and you haven't caught all of the sermons. And of course, for some of you, this is your first week. So I wanted to consider that and and not lose you and not assume too much. Um, So I will recap generally what we've talked about, but I'll do that later in the sermon. But in by and large, what I'm hoping to do today is, as Ben mentioned, get into the nitty gritty, sort of the nuts and bolts of our mission. What we've done is we've broken down our target, what we think a whole life disciple is, and we've talked about the various elements uh, of how a whole life disciple is made. But this morning, we're going to talk about four formative environments that New City is developing that we will all participate in to grow in our own whole life discipleship. And I think at the conclusion of a series about your mission, Psalm 127 is one of the best places that we could go. I mean, the idea is this. Listen, we've worked really hard. I mean, we've prayed, we've worked, and we've thought about who do we have here? Who is God bringing? How are we going to make disciples? And yet, the reality is, is we probably relied a little too much on ourselves. Uh, I promise you that. And we repent often of prayerlessness, which, of course, is functional atheism. And it's good for us to be reminded that unless the Lord comes, unless the Lord shows up, as Ben said this morning, unless the Lord actually calls us to worship, even our worship today is in vain. And so as we look at Psalm 127, what I want to do is walk through these two verses somewhat quickly, and then I want to lay out our discipleship pathway at New City. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. So Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm. It sounds like a wisdom psalm, right? It's an invitation to the wise life. It's an invitation to live as God has designed human beings to live. And so if you look at the words, building a house and watching a city, both building and watching are actually words for a larger reality that we all engage in every day. Really, it's anything that we construct and anything that we conserve, you could say, is both building and watching. So if you construct or create a life, a business, a family, a family vacation, a road trip, if you construct any plan and then come up with a way to make sure you're on track, to conserve it, to watch over it, you're building and watching, right? That's what's happening here. And what we see is we could be constructing a life, a business, a family, a government, a school. We could be planting churches, creating a discipleship pathway, 
taking a family road trip, as I mentioned, all of these things, to live in a world as a human is to create and conserve, to start and maintain. And this wisdom psalm tells us what the wise person does when they do these things. And so we're going to see that the psalm teaches us four things. And the first thing is obviously clear, and that is when we are constructing and conserving, when we're building and maintaining, we are reliant upon God, right? That's what he says very clearly. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. You see, the text is clear that either all that we do will be the Lord's doing, or it will be empty and pointless, and there is no third option. It's not the same word if you were with us, right? Some of you were with us, we just went through Ecclesiastes, and the word vain or vanity is all throughout Ecclesiastes. This actually is not the same word in Hebrew for vanity in Ecclesiastes, although it's equally comprehensive. The emphasis in Ecclesiastes was that when we try to control our life, when we try to create a life that we can control and gain things out of it, It's like trying to grab onto smoke, right? It's there, but when you try to grab onto it and keep it for yourself, your hands just go through it. And when you try to grasp it even faster, the smoke dissipates even faster, doesn't it? And so that's the emphasis of Ecclesiastes. The emphasis here of the vanity is that while you may construct something that's really pretty on the outside and very presentable, at the center, it's actually very empty and vacuous. It's pointless, And so what this truth reminds us of is that when we succeed at something, we cannot credit it solely to ourselves, but we must give God his due honor. John Calvin says this in his commentary on this passage. He says, Solomon intends to repulse the foolish self-confidence of men and women who, ignoring God and relying only on their own wisdom and strength, dare to start anything that comes to their heads. Therefore, he sweeps away everything which they rashly claim for their own and calls them to humility and prayer to God. Right? I mean, in a world like ours, which is built on consumerism and individualism, we have a right in our mind to start anything that comes into our head, don't we? We, we have a right in our mind to sort of say anything that comes to our mind. And technology with social media just makes this... Well, it makes it something else, doesn't it? It comes in your head and then all of a sudden, not who you say it to, who happens to be around you, but anyone on the entire internet can see what you thought in that moment that you rashly just sort of put out there. You see, Solomon is clear that our success and protection in all of our life depends upon God. And if you think it doesn't, you're foolish, right? This is a wisdom psalm. There are two ways. There's the wise and the foolish. And so if you think that you are in control of your life, you are following the path of the fool. So the first thing the psalm teaches us is we are reliant when we're constructing things. The other thing is we're responsible though, right? This is the other side. If you look at verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It's shallow. It's vacuous. It has no hope of lasting. And yet, those who build labor. And the watchman, right? The Lord must watch over the city, but there still is a watchman who stays awake. You see, it's both and. We are reliant, and yet we are responsible. We see in both instances that although God builds and God watches, 
We build and we watch. Although God ultimately is the one we're reliant upon to construct something, we still construct it. We still go build it. We still plan. We still act in the world. So while the Bible calls us clearly to be reliant upon God, yet it does not disparage at all our effort and our planning. And we are expected to use diligently the abilities and resources that we have. And we're going to be held responsible if we don't use them. Now, it's true, right? Some of us love plans, and some of us really don't love plans, right? You know this. Some marriages is like this. One of you really loves planning, and the other one doesn't, right? And some of us uh, need to be told what to do, and some of us reject even an inkling of telling us what to do. Right? Some of where you fall out, of course, is related to your personality. Some of it's related to your particular experiences you've had in the past. Some of it's related to where you are in your stage of life, right? Maybe in a different stage of life, you prefer the exact opposite thing than what you prefer now. But for some of us, whether we like planning or not is related to our view of God. We automatically think that the more structured things are, the less faith-filled they are. We think that we plan our way out of God working. We think if we plan too much, there's no work, there's no room for him to work. And in this perspective, structure does not wait on the Lord, but rather it's conforming and constraining. Right? For those people who don't like planning, an architected plan can never produce an authentic experience. But maybe Some of you are on the other side and you've experienced that planning things well and creating structure and processes and habits is actually conductive to good progress in building a company or planning a classroom lesson plan or even growing as a disciple. And maybe for these people, those without a structured plan come across as idle and not very serious or hardworking, maybe even lazy. Right? But yet the first group of people who, who don't like plans, they may gravitate towards phrases in the Bible by, hey, let's just be led by the Spirit. Let's just keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Don't plan the Holy Spirit out of this. But maybe some of us who do like structure, we gravitate towards Scripture like everything should be done decently and in order. Or we, we point to Moses and we think, how was Moses going to care for all these people? Right? He had to create these great structures and, and raise up leaders and he had a very clear plan of what they were to do. Or maybe even some of us will point to Paul's admonishment that if people don't work, they don't eat. Right? Amen. Praise God. All right. So, so we see there are both sides. Right? What we're really talking about, depending on what side of the spectrum you land on, what we're really talking about is God's mysterious use of means. Right? God is behind everything, and yet he uses means. God is behind everything. He's in control of everything. Everything is reliant upon him, and yet at the same time, we are his instruments. He never takes over. And so, Charles Spurgeon, I would recommend a sermon that he preached on this text that I read this week called God's Coworkers. You can get online for free. Do yourself a favor and read that this week was so encouraging. I want to quote him here. He says this, If God works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure, 
then the natural result is that I must work out what he has worked in. Where God has united means and ends, I would say of them, what God has joined together, let no man separate. To trust in the means. Now, what are means? I, I want to insert something here. I'm going I'm to read to trust in means, and I'm going to substitute actual means in our life. Okay? To trust in a business plan. To trust in a ministry plan. To trust in a strategic plan. To trust in all of the sales calls that you make. To trust in the vulnerable, calm, and intimate conversations with your spouse that you intentionally do in order to grow that relationship. To trust in intentional systems and structure that you create for your children to help them grow up into decent human beings. Right? To trust in those means without God is presumption. And to profess to trust God without those means is only another form of presumption. And it will come to the same thing in the end. I am to believe in God and in God alone, but if I perceive that he works in a certain way, I am to drop into God's way and to believe that he will work while I am pleading with him to do so and seeking to carry out his plan and doing it. God will not work apart from means. And so we pray and we plan. We work and we rest. We exercise faith and we exercise works. And they go together and it's this mysterious use of means. And I was thinking today how when you talk like that, you, you kind of feel like you get it and then it feels really abstract. And so I try to think like, what is a concrete image or picture that I can think of? And I want to try something and we'll see how it goes, okay? It's just rife with philosophical fallacy. Just telling you up front, okay? So right in the middle of my chest, in the middle of your chest, there's a heart. It's about this big. It's right here. And on either side is lungs. And then it's protected by a rib cage. What is the role of the heart? The role of the heart is to pump blood, and that's it. It just pumps over and over and over. But why is it pumping blood? Okay, there are trillions of cells in your body. Let's just say a finger cell, one finger cell. Right now, there's a finger cell that's doing what finger cells do. Whatever they do, it's doing it right now. Okay, and it's producing waste that needs to be taken away from the cell. Otherwise, it'll just, if the garbage isn't taken away, it'll stack up and that cell will die. But it also needs something else. It needs oxygen and it needs glucose. It needs those two things. So when the heart is beating, its main job is what? Blood flow. It's just pumping blood to every cell in the body. That's all it's doing over and over and over. If it doesn't pump blood to the cell, the cell dies. But yet, what if the heart said, I don't need the lungs I don't need oxygen. All my job, I'm just going to pump blood and it could be flowing right now. But if it does not have the power of oxygen from the lungs, that finger cell, that blood's going to be useless and it's going to die. And yet it is possible that the lungs are filled with air, filled with power of oxygen. And yet if the heart is not beating, that oxygen will never get to my finger cell ever. 
And so how do these things go together? Some of us are like the heart that's pumping and pumping and pumping and not pulling from the oxygen that is God's power. And you're saying, it's up to me. I'm pumping. I'm doing my job. I'm pumping. I'm pumping. I'm pumping. And yet there is no power. You don't realize you're reliant upon God. Your pumping is in vain. Your pumping is in vain if there's no power from the oxygen. You have nothing to offer the cell, but you're pumping. And there's flow. And yet some of us, we're like the lungs in a sense where we have all this oxygen, but we're not pumping. Either way, it's vanity. Either way, that cell dies. And so which one are you like? Are you like the heart that pumps but relies on its own power? Or are you like the person who's like a, a farmer, right? And, and a farmer, right, who is like uh, saying, yeah, I'm not going to plow my field because I have faith in God. I'm not going to plow because God provides, Right? Yeah, I don't really read my Bible every day because God's the one that brings faith. He grows me anyway. I'm not in control of that. That's crazy. It's crazy to think that you and I would grow and not engage in private prayer. It's crazy to think that you and I would grow and not sacrificially come to corporate worship. It's crazy to think that you and I would grow and not put ourselves in situations where we actually have to serve other people and be served by those other people. It's crazy. It's like thinking that all I have to do is pump blood without power, without oxygen. So where do you fall out? Right? Where do you fall out? Do you know? Do you just kind of think, well, it'll happen somehow. I mean, I'll grow and God cares about me, and, but I really won't be intentional. Or are you so check the box? This is me. What I'm about to say, this is me. I'm so check the box. I'm so planned. I'm so goal-oriented. And then I think, I don't think I've prayed today. Huh. I mean, I read the Bible, but... I mean, I prayed, but I just said words. I was actually reliant. Was the posture of my heart actually open to receive? Or was I just talking? That's me. That one's me for sure. If I'm going to fall on one side or the other. And so when you figure out which side you are, the third thing the psalm teaches us is this. We need often to be rebuked. And it's on either side right? How does this hit you? Which direction do you lean? How will you repent? Do you need to engage means? Or do you need to recognize that in the means of grace that you might engage, you're still reliant upon God, right? Do you pray for your business deals? Or do you think, actually, my faith is over here, but like the business thing is me. Like that's me. Do you, do you seek the Lord in every area of your life. Charles Spurgeon says this, the believer must never think that he will naturally and necessarily grow in grace because he uses the means of grace. He says, like I just did, I just now insisted upon the reading of the scriptures, but that may be a very dry formality unless we look to God to bless it. I spoke of gathering to hear the word in corporate worship, but that will be a very unprofitable piece of ceremony unless our eye is toward the Lord rather than toward the preacher. I spoke of private prayer, but that may degenerate into a mere form 
unless we have communion with God in it. Indeed, it is just nothing unless God be there. You cannot go an inch in the pilgrimage to heaven without God. It's not possible for you to overcome a solitary sin or to produce a single virtue apart from the Holy Spirit. They labor in vain that build without God. You may rise up early and sit up late and be one of the most outspoken professors of religion, but nothing will come of it unless God is in it all. I'd summarize it this way. We can't expect to grow without engaging means of grace, and yet we can't expect to grow simply because we engage means of grace. We are always reliant upon God, and we are responsible. And so we do need to be rebuked this morning. I don't know where you need to be rebuked, but I know for me, this has caused some reflection this week. And the last thing before we move on to end with the discipleship pathway is this. God gives rest. So we're reliant upon God, yet we're responsible. When we see these two truths together, it kind of rebukes us because we tend to fall off on one side or the other. And we got to figure out what that is upon reflection. But we cannot forget that God gives rest. Look at verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep or rest. God is a great giver. He is a great giver, and he gives rest. There are two types of getting up early to labor, right? There's the fearful, anxious toil type of which you destroy yourself. You pour anxiety into every relationship you have. You're toxic, you're desperate, and you're off-putting. And you're angry, and you're numb, and you're aloof, and you're arrogant, and you're reckless. There's that kind of getting up early. And then there's another type of getting up early where you're secure and you're grateful. And in a loving response to God's love for you, you get up early. And sometimes you stay up late and you rest with deep confidence and you, you come from a place of security. Those are two different types of getting up early, aren't they? And the rest that Jesus right now invites us into when we talk about means, when we talk about responsibility, is that any means we engage, we do them from a place of security, not a place of insecurity. We do it from a place of well-rootedness, not from a place of blowing around in the wind. You see, if you trust Jesus, he has a hold of you. He's not letting you go. And it's from that place that you and I can pursue means. We're already accepted. We're already beloved. You see that? He gives to his beloved sleep. And so, do you have an anxious heart? Do you live a life filled with anxiety where everyone sort of is nervous when you walk into the room? Your kids, like, oh, I can tell it's one of those days. Mom walked in, dad walked in. I'm walking this way, and I'm going to try to stay in my room. I'm going to try to stay away. I'm going to try to walk on eggshells. It's not just our kids that do that. Our coworkers do that. Our direct reports do that. Our best friends do that. Our spouses do that. Jesus is inviting you to rest. And we need to hear these truths before we even talk about 
what New City wants to do to make whole life disciples. Because if we're not relying upon God, it's in vain. If we're not willing to respond and take our responsibility, we're never going to engage in a pathway anyway that I'm about to show you. If we're not self-reflective enough to know where we err and willing to be rebuked by the Holy Spirit and repent and invite community into it, then this is useless. And if we don't understand the rest of Jesus, we will use this discipleship pathway to wreck ourselves because we'll think somehow I'm earning Jesus's love. I'm engaging in a pathway so that he'll be impressed with me. You with me? Okay. So now, in the remaining 12 minutes, this is our target, what's behind us. This is not new to those of you who have been with us. This is the bullseye of a whole life disciple. If you say, at New City, what are you guys trying to do when you disciple people? We would say, we are trying to make whole life disciples. And we say a whole life disciple is someone responding to the love of God in Christ, increasingly pursues communion with God, community with one another, and co-mission for the world. And you'll notice this isn't just a target we're aiming at. This is a wheel. So the hub is where all the power comes from, communion with God, to truly know God and walk with him. It's like the oxygen source in the lungs from the illustration earlier. Without oxygen, we can pump blood all day long and it's in vain. And eventually, by the way, you realize the heart also is made up of cells. And the heart needs that power. The heart needs that oxygen or the heart will shrivel up and die just like that finger cell will shrivel up and die. And so we need to start there. Then look at community as sort of the spokes of the wheel. You have the power source and the community is the spokes of the wheel where we're known and loved and we know and love others, where we're woven into the relational fabric of the church in this community. And then co-mission is where the rubber meets the road. Co-mission through witness and work is where we love our neighbors. And you realize starting in the hub, the power source pushes out and the vehicle moves and we begin to move towards our vision. Now, if that's the destination, what is the pathway that we'll walk together to move toward this destination? Because it won't automatically happen. There are four formative environments at New City. And the first one you're experiencing right now, and that is public worship. It's the biggest one. Public worship is where all of us are gathered because the Lord calls us here and we're all recalibrated. We all are recalibrated to where our hearts have been directed that week. Where, what is our vision of the good life? What kingdom are we living for? Our own kingdom or the kingdom of God? And corporate worship calls us together. We hear from God's word. He consecrates us. He invites us to his table and we eat with Jesus. And then we're sent out to go be a blessing to the world. Engaging in that environment is crucial. The Lord calls us to this. And we're inviting you, I'm inviting you to this weekly rhythm of coming sacrificially to be redirected towards God's kingdom purposes through the elements of corporate worship. Okay? That is clutch weekly. Now, there's the next environment, which is Christian education and equipping. This has not existed at New City. Okay, we're launching this this fall. We're launching it with three opportunities, and we're launching it with three objectives. Our objective, 
Well, first let me tell you this. Not only do we need worship, we need teaching and equipping. That's what this does. We need teaching and equipping. We don't automatically know how to pray. Like, that's crazy. And if you're nervous thinking, I think everyone else knows how to pray and read the Bible better than I do. They're probably faking it. Okay? We don't, it's like a baby that's born. You just don't know how to live. You need someone to teach you. You need someone to equip you and to train you. And so Christian education and equipping is about equipping all of us in biblical and theological literacy, gospel fluency, and that sounds scary. All it means is if Jesus is really Lord and he's raised from the dead, how does that speak to every area of my life? How does that speak to what I love? How does that speak to my addictions? Okay, how does the gospel speak fluently? How does it connect with every part of my life? And the third thing is missional living. If we really are going to be on co-mission, how do we prayer walk? How do you do that? Have you ever done that? Has anyone ever showed you how to do that? Has anyone ever walked your neighborhood, walked your workplace with you and prayed for the flourishing of that place? If no one has taught you and I tell you to do it, how do you expect to do it? I mean, you could try and that'd be great. Go for it today. No one needs to teach, just go. But yet even Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them. And so we need these three things, these three objectives. You'll hear more about this, but this fall, we're going to offer three seminars. The first one is going to be a parenting seminar. It's going to be a panel of people. Some of you in this room, you don't even know you're going to be on the panel yet. Surprise. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to delight in children? What does it mean to disciple our children? What does it mean to discipline our children? And we're going to leave with next steps. It's like a lab. We're going to ask people, engage people in Q&A, survivors, so to speak, people who have raised kids, right? Not people like me who are trying to survive. The jury is still out on most of us in this room. Will we live? Will our children live? Maybe, right? So we're doing a parenting forum. We're also going to have a Friday night, Saturday event where Scott Swain, the president of RTS Seminary, is going to come and we're going to walk through what is baptism. And so many of you have said, hey, what's baptism? Why do we baptize infants? Why is it a big deal? Why do we do it once a month? Come and learn. Come and ask your questions. And then, I've joked about this before, but if you're new to New City, you'll know that we think that counseling can be a really helpful part of the Christian life and Christian growth. But that may be new to you. Or you may be in counseling, but you're trying to figure out, like, I've experienced a lot of growth in counseling, but how does my, how does my Christian life continue to connect with counseling now that I'm moving past counseling? How do I continue to walk this out in community? Well, that's a good question. So we're going to have a Sunday night forum where we're going to talk about that. What is the role, potential role of counseling and the gospel in gospel growth? Okay, so these are just three examples of how we need to teach each other and equip each other along the way. Now, the last thing I'll say on this is that we realize we all are busy. And so the two main strategies we're going to employ with Christian education are weekend seminars. You notice two of them were just one night, not a whole weekend, and podcasts. We're already recording podcasts. We'll be launching podcasts. The first podcast will go out next week, and it will be in preparation for our Ephesians sermon series. It's already recorded. And so we'll be launching things. We've been already recording podcasts, and it will make more sense as it comes out. The next environment is community groups. Okay, we need a place 
where we all consistently are getting woven into the relational fabric of the church. Even if you've been here for 10 years, see, we don't have community groups during the summer. My guess is a lot of you feel disconnected right now. A lot of you feel disconnected from the church. You feel disconnected from the leadership. You feel disconnected from the mission and vision. And you've been asking yourself, I love New City and I love these people, but I don't feel like I have relationships. I feel disconnected. Hey, just so you know, everybody in every church feels that way right now because y'all have been everywhere over the summer. Okay? Like that happens. All right? Now you have a choice. I have a choice. Are we going to engage? Are we going to radically reorient our schedule for two hours a week for community groups where we're consistently connecting with one another and caring for one another? And by the way, also supporting one another on mission? You see, community groups are going to be for those three things, supporting one another on mission. Yes, we will encourage you to engage in mission together. More to come on that. Yes, we are going to equip you to better connect with one another, to pray for and with one another, to get in the scriptures together. But this is where we get woven into the relational fabric of the church, where we actually care for one another in shepherding needs, in practical needs, in needs of encouragement, of connecting. Whether you've been here for 10 years or this is your first week, community groups are crucial. Now, the last one, New City Circles. These don't exist yet. Okay, they don't exist. They're coming. Okay, good. You'll notice that each one gets smaller because public worship is the biggest. Christian education and and equipping is smaller. Community groups are smaller. So this is the smallest one. Circles are going to be gender-specific groups of three to four people who commit together to pursue growth in whole life disciple practices in the context of relational transparency. Translation. You need really close friends. Your life is one bad decision away from blowing up. Every single one of you, including me. You need people who are so close to you that after a while, they see things you don't see. And they say, hey, you walked in the room, something's off. Or you said this last week, I don't, I'm not going to let you get away with that, just, just saying it and being really upfront, but really using it as a defense mechanism that says, I'm going I'm to vomit on you right now, like not actually vomit, but, but word vomit on you and tell you what I'm thinking. And I'm going to do that so you won't pursue me. I'm going to do that so you stay away. This is a defense mechanism. I'm going to be really upfront. You need someone to say, yeah, that's stupid. We're not going to do that. Like, tell me, what you, tell me what you did last night. Tell me what you thought. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you said in detail right now. Tell me. We all need that and we all want that. But yet, if we just get together and do that, we'll be like that heart pumping and no oxygen. We actually, God has to be at the center of that. And the way God's at the center of that is practices of prayer and meditation and confession and study, rest. And so the goal will be to grow together in those practices to take us towards the bullseye, but to do it in a context of relational transparency, deep relational transparency. This right here is how we think we're going to make whole life disciples for their callings. This is it. Now, of course, there'll be some other things that we do, some ways we serve the city, of course. So if you're thinking, what about, yes, 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 okay? Probably. (laughs) I can't promise you, actually, what you're thinking we're going to do. Probably. But this right here, we're, this is the marathon. This is the marathon 
We're going to be walking together. So I would ask you, follow us in this. Follow us. This is not a sprint. This is a thousand daily decisions, not a heroic moment of transformation. That's the Christian life. A thousand daily decisions, not a heroic moment or decision. And I would ask you, prioritize this pathway, not because it's magic, but because it's plotting. Join us, prioritize this pathway. We're hiring a new pastor. We're searching for this pastor now to help us do this. I want you to know that as well. Pray for that. If you have any people in mind, ask me. I'd be glad. We'll give everyone in here the role description. I don't know why we haven't yet. I'm not sure, but we'll give it to everyone. Pray for that. Join us. Pray for that. Pray for this pathway. Prioritize it. And here's the last thing I would say. This pathway is about equipping you for your callings. Do you know how many hours are in a week? 168. Good. Very good. 168 hours. I know all of you wish you slept eight hours, so let's say you did. If you sleep eight hours a night, that leaves you with 112 hours of waking life. Okay? Let's say you're super spiritual and you give six hours a week to the church. So two hours now, two hours in community group, two hours in a circle, and on your commute, you're listening to podcasts and you choose a weekend seminar and you go to that. But let's just say six hours on average per week. Anyone can do quick math? How much does that leave you with? 106 hours. If this only equips you for six hours of your life for church, we fail. When we say we make whole life disciples for their callings, we are discipling you, me, all of us, for those 106 hours. Otherwise, we fail. The point of discipleship, where you actually walk with Jesus, is out there. And we need to equip you for that. And so be patient and, and gentle, but come expecting that this is happening and that this is going to happen. Come expecting that you have a role in this because you do. Come expecting that for you to lean in to each one of these environments, God will bless it. I really believe in this. I really believe that God deeply desires this place to grow. And I particularly mean right now for each one of us to grow more deeply, more rooted in Jesus. I deeply expect and desire and pray that as we're sent out, our communities will flourish because we're all becoming more whole. Will you join us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the elders of this church. I thank you that they have worked and prayed and encouraged the staff. And I get to stand up here and and say this as though these were my ideas only. You have gifted this church with so many amazing godly leaders and so many more. I pray now that we would repent where necessary. Help us repent when we are presumptuous and don't plan and don't engage means and help us repent when we 
presumptuously rely on our plans instead of relying on you. Holy Spirit, do a renewing, reviving work in this church and in this city through us and the other churches as well. In Jesus' name, amen.